join me in Romans chapter number 8, please. We've started a series on this chapter. We might be here for a little while. Because we've made it all the way up to verse number 5, and this is sermon number 6. So, uh, with that in mind, there's 39 verses. So, right now we're on the year schedule of uh, making it through Romans chapter 8. But, I think a very important chapter for us. Uh, an essential chapter, truly. Uh, if I could do this, and I, I can't, but if I could, when a person comes to know Christ as Savior, I would have them work on Romans 6 to memorize, and Romans 8 to make it concrete. I would put those two in their lives, because those are essential, essential chapters for the believer. And that's what we're talking about, the security of the believer, and how this chapter tells us all that the Lord has done for us. Really, it's quite overwhelming, uh, but the material is so rich. We we have to take it in, in bite-sized pieces as we work today. And with all that said, we're going to do about four or five verses today. Now, part one. Okay. So, I'll start with verse five, read through verse number nine. For those who are, according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. For those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death. For the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However... You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Alright, hear that again? If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Very important words for us this morning. We're going to have to have a word of prayer before we jump into this text, because we need help today. Heavenly Father... We come before you with your word opened up in front of us and your spirit to teach us and guide us. And we, we need that desperately today. Lord, as we work through this passage, do your great work. As you have said, your word will not return to you void. It will accomplish what it set out to do. We pray that that will be the case in our hearts and lives today. Perhaps, Lord, there will be one or two or more here today who will hear something that will change them for eternity. For these are the words that bring us to understand our need for Christ. So impress upon a heart today that does not know you, their desperate need to know you, to receive Christ as Savior. Do your work in our midst, Lord, and we give you the praise for it all. We know everything you do is for your glory and for our good. And we're going to rest in that today as we study this passage. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. As we're working through our study of the security that we have in Christ, one great, wonderful principle we started with in the first four verses is that we are secured from our past. And that's what the words have talked about. Immediately he mentioned that there is no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. 
What a great word that is to hear. And it worked its, through, uh, its way through the passage. We've talked about it, how we're free from judgment, how we're given life, how we're, all, all these great things that we have in Christ Jesus. It's just an amazing four verses. And I'd love to go back over them again and again and again, but you just have to pull it up on the website if you want to hear those words. But uh, that was secured from the past. We move into verse 5 through 9, well, 8 technically, um, dealing with the security we also have in our mind. Secure in our mind as well. And this is a very, very essential section to understand. Uh, Many times, as you might know, we find defeat in what we're thinking. In what we're thinking. And we're going to especially need this little passage here because that's one of the hardest places to find security, is it not? It's right there in the mind, the things that we we think, especially if we dwell on the past. Especially if we go down that road, we start to, to question a lot of things. Some people have questions as to whether or not the Lord has forgiven them. And they carry things for a long time. It's almost this way, if I could paint a picture that might make sense. You, you get the opportunity, you know you've done something, you want to leave it with the Lord, so you come to the cross, you lay it down at His feet, you say, Lord, I need forgiven of this, I want to make it right, it's done, I lay it at the cross, you died for this, it's over. And then you pick it back up and walk out the door with it. Been there before? Yes. I personally was that way when it came to salvation. And I've told you my story before. Some of you have heard it before several times. But I was brought up in a place where every week we felt we needed to accept Christ. And I think it looked good on the records. Because every week there were people coming forward to receive. It was the same people. That was me. I've been saved 40 times at least. But that's, that's the way I was brought up thinking. That somehow this wasn't sticking. And I needed to do it again. This is a lot of it, was what I understood in my mind. What I understood in our mind. That's that's where uh, there's a great battlefield right there alone. Many times we hear something and we say, we want to believe that. We want to believe it. And then our mind starts the game. And we wrestle with it. And we wrestle with it. And even to the point where sometimes that which is true is being contradicted in our mind. And we walk away confused. That's why I like this passage. Because it does speak about the mind. Especially, you saw it there in verse number 5. About setting the mind on the things of the flesh. In verse 6, for the mind set on the flesh is death. In verse 7, the mind set on the flesh is hostile. That sounds like it's going to hit the same topic over and over. The issue of the mind. So we're going to talk about that here this morning. Now, I told you this is part one, because as I worked through this section, I saw it this way. You could easily set up a ledger with two columns. One on the left side representing those who do not know the Lord. The unsaved, if we want to give them a title. They're not believers in Jesus Christ. And down that ledger, you have quite a lot of information in these verses. And we're going to look at that. And on the other side of the ledger are the things that we enjoy because we know Christ as Savior. And that's really the emphasis of the whole chapter, is on what we have in Christ. 
But it's kind of hard to ignore the other side of the ledger when you're in this section. It stands up so vividly, so, so impressively, that I have to do it this way. And I don't have a ledger in front of me, so I thought, well, I have to preach from both sides of the pulpit. All right? Usually I walk over here when I talk about the unsaved. And that's nothing to do with you guys. All right? I'm glad there's so many of you on this side today, but that, that's not it. I, I just... I don't know why I always do this. When I talk about the unsaved, I step on this side of the pulpit. When I talk about the saved, as to contrast, I go to this side. So you guys feel better for a minute. And you guys are saying, uh, I don't know. But today I'm going to preach from this side of the pulpit. All right. This, this is the direction we're going to go. And we do need that. I promise the other side too. All right. Uh, but let's look at a couple of things that are very, very, very important because I'm going to talk about and to those who do not know Christ as Savior. All right? So listen very carefully today. When we started our first four verses of this passage, there is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. It says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, Weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. If you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you do not apply to this passage. Not one bit of this applies to you. What does that mean? That means you're not secure from your past. You are still under condemnation for sin. Matter of fact, you are in your sin still, and the wrath of God abides on you. That's a contrast to these four verses. The wrath of God abides on you. John 3, verse 36, a verse that is quite potent, after you read through John 3, you're saying, well, I love verse 16. Yeah, we do. Verse number 36 says, He who believes in the Son has eternal life. We like that. But, here's the contrast. He who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. That's, that's what we call in the Greek a present tense verb. It is sitting on him right now. That's not waiting for some future judgment seat. That's right now. The wrath of God abides on him. That's the contrast to what we see in Romans chapter 8. No condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. Condemnation on those who are not in Christ Jesus. That's just summing up the first four verses, which we've talked about for several weeks. But just so you know... If you do not know Christ as Savior, those verses don't apply to you. You don't have that security of knowing your past has been paid for. You don't have that. But here we move from verse four, 1 through 4 into 5 and so on, where we are in our study. It says simply this, For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Now let's go a little deeper with this. You, if you do not know Christ as Savior, are not secure in the mind. You are not. Matter of fact, it says, you are in the flesh. 
You are in the flesh. You're, you're existing that way. That's your life in the flesh. And you know how, what that means when you break it down into these concepts? I dug this out of uh, my Greek lexicon. It works like a dictionary and a thesaurus, so it has wonderful words that just all come together here. And so I just put it down in simple phrases to express what this is trying to say to us. It's simply this. If you have set your mind on the things of the flesh, that's the way you're thinking. Sounds easy, doesn't it? That's the way you're thinking, to be the technical phrase, to be minded a certain way. Alright, that sounds, well, not the way we say things. To be minded a certain way. What that, the, your understanding is according to the flesh. Your understanding is according to the flesh. Here's a good example that you probably would understand well. You go out and plant a beautiful little tree, uh, say it's an oak or say it's a maple or whatever you want it to, to grow up and look beautiful in your yard, but you know exactly what the Oklahoma winds do to it. It doesn't grow up straight, does it? They all lean. And you, what can you do about that? You prop it up, you do everything you can, but it's got a bent to it. This is a picture of setting your mind on something. Your understanding is going to go that way. The way of the flesh. Because you're existing in the flesh. Your viewpoint is going to go that way. Because you've set your mind on the flesh. Your concerns are going to go that way. Because you've set your mind on the flesh. Your feelings are going to go that way. Because your mind is set on the flesh. Your, your attitude... You ever look at your attitude? Guess which way it goes when you set your mind on the flesh? Same way. Your intentions go the way of the flesh. Your purpose goes the way of the flesh. You're, you're living in harmony with the flesh. You observe the things of the flesh. All that to say, you think like the flesh. You've set your mind on it. Literally, that's reigning in you. That is curbing your every thought, your every sensitivity, your every feeling, your every understanding. It's the flesh, and it dominates you. Now, it's interesting to me, in Romans chapter 1, that God can and God does give a man over to a depraved mind. In chapter 1, verse 28, it says that uh, they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer. God gave them over to a depraved mind. That's corrupt, evil, degenerate. Now, what did they do to get that designation? Why, what was it that they did? I mean, it had to have been terrible that God would say, okay, I give them over to a depraved mind. The verse says, they just chose not to acknowledge him. That's all it took. They, did, they rejected God. They didn't see fit. What an incredible statement. Mankind looking at God and saying, I don't see it fit to acknowledge you. God gave them over to a depraved mind. Doesn't take much, now does it? 
In Ephesians 2, verse number 3, it speaks of the time we believers once indulged the desires of the mind. It says, you, among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of the flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. We were indulging the desires of the flesh and the mind. Indulging them. Now, if you don't know Christ as Savior, that's where you are right now. You are indulging the desires of the flesh and the mind. It's where we once were, we believers. In Ephesians 4, verse 17, it adds the fact that we were walking that way. We were, we were behaving that way in the futility, <laughs> the emptiness, the, the folly of the mind. Of the mind. An empty, foolish thing. And we were behaving that way. Now, those aren't potent enough to, to shock you a little bit and move your foundation a bit underneath you. This one is powerful. Titus 1, verse number 15. Titus 1, verse 15. says, To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Both their mind and their conscience are defiled. That's the unbeliever. Their mind and their conscience is defiled. So we have started with verse number 5. How's it looking so far for this side? Their mind is set on the flesh. It's set on the flesh. And they're existing that way. So let's move on to 6 and see if it gets better. It says, for the mind set on the flesh is death. I'm not sure it's getting better. The mind set on the flesh is death. It does not say the mind set on the flesh is sick. It does not say they have a disorder. It doesn't say they have a disease or even a disability. It doesn't use words like that. There is no isms here to assign to it. There is no human cure for this problem. You can't use a 30-step plan of 40 or 50 steps, how many you want. You can step all you want. There is no recovery from dead. Try it. Oh, not yourself. Take a plant. Kill it. Some of us are really good at that. Go ahead, kill the plant. Then, do all you can in watering it, fertilizing it, setting it out in the sun, propping it up with anything you want to prop it up with, and guess what you're still going to have? A dead plant. It looks better, maybe. You've decorated it nicely. Put some tinsel on it or something. It's still dead. The mindset on the flesh is death. Its condition is dead, and its results are death. How's that looking so far on this side of the ledger? Oh, let's try another one. Verse number 7, because maybe it does get better here yet. It says, because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God, it's not even able to do so. Hostile, that's a strong word. It's the same word for hatred. Hatred. 
that's not mere dislike or disinterested or, you know, you know, she can do what he wants and I'll do what I want. This is an intentional direction of hostility. Hatred is the word. The mindset on the flesh hates God. Is that pretty powerful to you? Side note, I want to come over here for a second. Believer, let me ask you something. Lately, if you've been indulging yourselves in things of the flesh, thinking, oh, it's okay, it's okay. Do you hear these words? Do you hear what it's saying about us when we indulge ourselves in the things of the flesh? What are we saying about our Lord? What have we just said about Him in this verse? We have a hatred for Him. Is that true of us? Is that really what we want to portray? I don't think so. But that's what the text says. Because a mindset on the flesh is hatred toward God. Boy, take that seriously. Take that very seriously. If it doesn't fit yet this week, next week I'll talk about it again. Alright? Here's what Colossians 1.21 said. It says, although you were formerly alienated, at one time you were isolated, at one time you were separated from God, you were hostile in your mind and engaged in evil deeds. Hostile in your mind. That's not better than anything else we've read here so far. John 3 will tell you again, right after that beautiful verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It goes on two verses later or so to say, and those who do not believe, those who do not receive the Son, hate the light. They hate it! Because their deeds are evil. That's what this passage is portraying to us on that side of the ledger. They're not only hostile toward God. It says also in verse 7, they do not subject themselves to the law of God. They do, they're not sub, subordinate to it. They're not obedient to the law of God. Matter of fact, the scripture defines it this way. I find it interesting in 1 Timothy 6.5. It calls it a friction of all things. A friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth. They suppose there's, there's a godliness there, a means of great gain. But, but there's a friction, a constant friction in that picture. Those who seek to live with a depraved mind, and they're deprived of the truth. And then Paul will mention in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8, that there was a man, there was a couple of men in the days of Moses who opposed him. And their names pop up here, and we're not sure exactly who they were, except that their names were Janus and Jambres. Janus and Jambres opposed Moses. And so these men opposed the truth, Paul wrote. Men of depraved minds. Now, can you see a combination coming to you from this passage? Those who have a depraved mind, who set their mind on the flesh, not only hate God, but they don't obey His word. They have no desire for his word. They reject his word. They want nothing to do with his word. Quick little test for you. I'm on this side for a minute, okay? 
How much time do you spend in God's Word? That reflects your mindset. Think about that for a minute. Reflects your mindset. These folks on this side, who do not know Christ, reject the Word altogether. So here's the point. It goes on in the same verse. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, it is not subject to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. It can't. No, that's not proper English. It cannot. It cannot. It cannot. It's not able. It has no power. It cannot do the things for change if it wanted to. It cannot do it. Verse 8 says something even more potent. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Cannot please God. Never will be agreeable to God. Never agreeable to God. This is pretty strong, is it not? When you stand on this side of the ledger and look at these words, We have come quite a ways to see somebody who is so helpless and so hopeless and so hostile at the same time to the things of God. That's what the flesh can do for you. Those are hard things, but that's the reality of those who are in the flesh. I'm going to cap it with verse 9. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. He does not belong to him that's this side those who do not know Christ as Savior they do not belong to him they do not if you're on that side today you do not know Christ as Savior you never received him you're walking by the flesh did you know that God just identified you You're walking by the flesh. And you know what's interesting about that? You're comfortable here. (laughs) And you think God's comfortable with that too. He is not. He is not comfortable with that. He considers the way of the flesh the way of death. He considers the walk of the flesh as his enemy. He considers the mind that has set itself on the flesh to be depraved and defiled. He knows that the flesh cannot please him. He knows that the flesh has no ability to do so. It's all black and white at this point now, isn't it? Those who set their mind on the flesh do not have Christ. Do not have Christ. They do not know him. They are not believers. They cannot be. They don't even have the Holy Spirit. They do not. Understand this this morning. Right now, if you're feeling very uncomfortable, good. Good. The Holy Spirit's at work. Any time the Holy Spirit's at work, I once read, change is inevitable. He doesn't just do something for a whim. When he works on a heart, he means to change it forever. If he's working on you right now, you're uncomfortable. You're sitting here hearing these words and you're saying, that can't, is that really me? Yes. 
without Jesus Christ as your Savior, that is you. You say, but I'm not so bad compared to, you know, the guy down the street. This is God's perspective, folks. This is what he said. And it's a strong passage. I know. It's a strong passage. But I want you to understand something, and I want to show it to you too. God does not intend to leave you there. That is not his plan. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. I want to show you what he says about this whole thing. We've had pieces of it because I've mentioned it as we went through here. But I want you to hear these words and hear them as if they were written right to you right now. All right? Ephesians 2, start in verse number 1. It says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, and He is, even right now, and because of His great love, in which He loved us, and He loved you, even right now, even when we were dead in our transgressions, He made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. And raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that, in the ages to come, He might show the surpassing riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that's not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. It's not a result of works, so that no man can boast. You come to this place where you see your absolute hopelessness. I want you to see a cross. A cross where Jesus died. As Romans 5 would say, that was God's demonstration of His great love for you. Even while you were a sinner, Christ died for you. And here, Christ has died. And you look at that cross, and you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ has died on your behalf. You shall be saved. You shall be saved. That whole past is removed. No condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. What a drastic, what an incredible change that is. You can't make it, you can't do anything to make even one ounce of difference, but God could make a difference that is totally the opposite and lasts forever. You see? That's what I'm appealing to you with this morning. Because as I've been studying through this passage, I want to talk so much about what we have in Christ, what we have in Christ. I love that section. But I had to deal with those who do not know Him. Because none of it applies until they know Christ as Savior. And that's my concern for you folks here this morning. As I look around, even balcony people can hear this, can't they? We're speaking about the love of God. And He knows who we are. Isn't it amazing that He loves us? But He does. He does. And this is what He's done for us. This is what He's done for us. While we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. One might, maybe, but not hardly, die for a righteous man. 
So perhaps for a good man, somebody would dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. As I close in prayer, now, that doesn't mean just turn off right now. As I close in prayer, if you do not know Christ as Savior, today's the day for you. You can talk to him right where you're at. You can, you can acknowledge these things. They're very clear. They're very black and white. But the primary thing is you need Christ. And you can, you can call on him even this morning as I'm closing in prayer. But I'm going to ask you to do something. If you do that, would you please tell me? Even if you want to just come out of your chair and come down here, I'll pray with you. If we have more than one, I'll have the elders come and help. But this morning, if you make a decision regarding Jesus Christ and what He's done for you, we want to know it. We want to rejoice with you. We want to see what God has done and support you with our prayers. If you make that decision today, would you just please come down during the prayer as I close in prayer here, and then we're singing. Heavenly Father, it's an amazing thing to think of your love for us in light of what Scripture has just defined us to be. Lord, I know in a day and age like ours, it's easy to play religion, to put on the guise of the Christian, to walk about like we know because we've been here, we've heard these words before, and we can go through the motions easy. But Lord, today is not the day for the motions or the guys. Today is a heart-to-heart talk with you concerning our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. If there is one among us, two among us, three or four or more, Lord, who need to know Christ as Savior, right now we ask that you do that. Show them, once again, how you have demonstrated your love for them. Even while they were sinners, you sent your Son to die for them. Show them the power of the cross. Show them the greatness of your mercy. Show them the the wonder of forgiveness. But show them life eternal, Lord. Change them forever, we pray. We who know these truths and have received Christ as Savior have just a thousand more reasons to praise you today. Just for what you have done and what you saved us from. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you so much for your love. As we contemplate these words, Lord, impress them on our hearts. Write them with permanent ink, we pray. Even in our mind, that we may not forget what great things you have done. And we praise you for that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.